0: Good afternoon again. Hopefully you remember, this is the fourth week of Advent, and Advent is a word that refers to uh, the coming of someone or or something significant. And when the Church of of Christ celebrates Advent, we're celebrating the coming of the most significant person in the history of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we've gone through this Advent season, we've been looking at different themes related to to Advent, the coming of Christ. We've looked at, at peace, and we've looked at hope, and Uh, Last week we looked at joy, and this week we're going to consider the theme of of love. Uh, The deep love of God for His children, uh, His people. Uh, We're going to do that by uh, working through a passage in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, If not, it is in your bulletin for you also. Some of these have been uh, doubled over with the candle readings, and so... You get it twice, which is good. Uh, You will have heard this twice by the time we get through it. Chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. It's been a while since I reverted back to the morning, huh? Um, people like to ask... This question, what is Christmas all about? Uh, What's the meaning of Christmas? Uh, And while it took Charlie Brown an entire Christmas special to find the answer, we as Christians have a pretty good understanding of that question. It's about the birth of Christ. It's when we celebrate Jesus' birthday, and to be fair, that's not likely his actual birth date. There's various explanations uh, for why this date was picked, and you can probably find them by searching through Wikipedia, but really none of the explanations are, are important to our understanding of the true meaning of Christmas. It is, of course, about love. Love that transformed the world, not only to the end of time, but even beyond that. Beyond the end of time. So what I want to do this evening is to walk us through this familiar passage of the birth of Christ. And then to help us focus on on the depths of God's love for us, his people, his church. So let's begin just by looking again closely at verses 18 through 19. Listen again as I read them. Now the birth of Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Betrothed is is a word we don't hear very often. Unless you're one of those people that watch, what is it, Downtown Abbey? That's the kind of setting you'll hear that word in. So to be fair, betrothed is not a word that I hear very often. It roughly means engaged. It's a promise to marry someone. In our time period, really, engagement has no legal standing. At the time of Jesus' birth, though, it was a, a more significant commitment that someone made. And that's precisely why in, in the ESV, the version, we, version of the Bible we've been reading to you, even though they're translating so many ideas and so many terms into modern language that we use, they keep the word betrothed, rather than translating it into engaged. Because while these are, are similar ideas, they really are not the same idea. Uh, the typical steps for Jewish betrothal included a thorough search for a proper match. In uh, this, families were involved, heavily involved in, in helping make this decision. There was even a bride price, money that was paid for the bride. And that might sound insane to us. However, it's not like it's completely voided in our society today. Most scholars believe that the bride price has really been reduced down to the engagement ring on most wives' fingers today. So it's not like we did away with that absolutely. And then after that, there was a blessing given by the parents of both of these children and and by the clergy. A commitment was made, and, and then this was announced publicly. These two are betrothed. After that, there was a period of time before the actual wedding. And we don't know how long it was for for Joseph and Mary, but typically this period of time lasted about a year. And like I said, this was a much larger commitment than in our modern era, because betrothal could not be broken except by death or by divorce. That's why in this text you might have noticed that these two are not married yet, and yet Joseph is referred to as her husband. Betrothal was a huge commitment. It's important to note that sexual relations were not permitted during the time of betrothal, uh, of of being betrothed. The, The bride lived with her parents while the groom lived somewhere else completely separate. And so we begin to understand here that everything began to look like Mary was very guilty, guilty of unfaithfulness, of adultery. And so get your, your head around this moment, if you can, for a moment. He's talking to his fiancée, and she tells him, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Well, he's not an idiot. And he's 100% certain that he's not the father. What is Mary thinking at this moment? So we don't know for sure. The, that detail is not revealed in, in the text of the scripture, but I can't imagine this is an easy moment for her. Because keep in mind, while Mary may be embarrassed or anxious, that really she's not feeling guilt or shame. And I say that because she's actually innocent at this moment. Mary has been faithful to Joseph. Mary has been faithful to the Lord. And she's been told by this angel that the reason this is happening is because God has found favor in you. And so we can imagine this moment when an angel visits that it might be an incredibly scary moment as we looked at last week or the week before, and yet an encouraging moment to to hear from the angel why this was happening. Uh, But if you can, picture yourself as a a fly on the wall. She explains to Joseph her innocence, to her fiancé, and as she does this, even she has to have some idea that this explanation sounds completely insane. Don't be upset, Joseph. I've been faithful to you. It's God through the Holy Spirit who has made me pregnant. He would have spent some time thinking about this. And we're told that that Joseph is a just man. He he faced three options when he came to this situation. I don't know if we think about this much, but there were really three options. If If he married her, that was the one option, it becomes a public admission of guilt. What I mean is, Is his guilt. It would be proclaiming that that Mary is pregnant as a result of of sin with her by him. The second option is to publicly divorce her. This is a a statement of of going through the Jewish courts. It was very public. People would have been there. And the result of this would have been that it disgraced her. But it would have also cleared his own name. He would have been found innocent through this. uh, Of of all wrongdoing. And his third option is to divorce her quietly. Uh, Divorce her quietly is not just quiet. Uh, it's actually a technical term, and it meant that it would not include the courts. It required only two witnesses to meet and, and to announce this divorce. And so it's something that wouldn't be highly public, highly shameful, yet it would have ended their trouble. We don't know if she knew that Joseph was planning to divorce her. We know that. We see that in the text. But she at least knows it's a possibility just because she's part of a culture where she's seen this happen. And she knows that after she has revealed this to him, he goes to spend some time thinking about this. And so can you imagine, if you, if you will, that moment where Mary is there in this moment? And there's this opportunity to just be angry at God. God, I've, I've been faithful to you. I've stayed pure, and now you've called on me to carry this child, and it looks like I'm going to lose my husband. I'm going to face public shame as a result of this. So it would be difficult in that moment for Mary to believe, yes, in fact, God loves me. I think it's great irony then that she was in the midst of God showing just how great his love for his children was, including her. And So Joseph has this this plan, he doesn't want to publicly shame Mary, and the plan is to divorce her quietly. And and then in verse 20, we we see this beautiful, simple conjunction, the word but. It tells us what follows is completely unexpected. If you look at verse 20, you'll, you'll see this, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is, con- is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. If I'm honest, when Laura and I were engaged, if she told me she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, I would not have had it in me to believe her. You know what would have convinced me? An angel visiting me. That's the kind of thing it would take to convince me. An angel visits Joseph in a dream and because, yeah, in fact, that's what would be convincing. And the angel tells Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why is he afraid? Like we saw earlier, there's social repercussions that he is facing. What what is going to bring public guilt on him is what he's looking at. He's afraid of that. There's also this fear that maybe Mary really was unfaithful. In this moment, though, something beautiful happens. What's the solution to his fear? It's trust. Trust is the solution to his fear. That's why Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's speaking towards God. Notice that it doesn't say when I, if I am afraid, but when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, God. For Joseph, it meant that trusting God here in this moment, that what he was doing was good. Trusting that God would make this happen in the way that it looks like it actually happened. Trusting that God loves him, even as he places him in this very difficult situation. Trust is always the solution to fear. I remember when our, our children were learning to swim the place we went to put this thing called a swim bubble. It's actually like foam shaped like a turtle shell if you've ever seen it. And It's on a belt that, that goes on them. Basically it means they can jump in the water and they can't sink. It keeps them above. As long as they're wearing it it keeps them afloat. And, and the instructor explained the way it worked to them, put it on them, and, and explained you will not sink. This will hold you up. One of our children believed that. She trusted the instructor trusted her parents who said this would indeed hold you, trusted our our love for her, that we wouldn't put her in some situation that was gonna cause her to sink to the bottom, and just trusted our words when we told her that this was going to be safe. Uh, Another of our children did not trust the instructor or the bubble uh, or her parents who were telling her this was going to be okay. Uh, And the experience for each of them were vastly different experiences. Uh, The one who did not trust, would not let go of the instructor, cried in fear, and was absolutely miserable the one who did trust ran to the edge and just jumped right into the water excitedly swam enjoyed the whole experience loved her lessons no fear no anxiety the other one slowly learned to trust the bubble and and when she did that fear went away joy returned to her face and she learned to swim like a fish and it was great Later, the bubbles came off, and as we went to the pool, they had to learn to trust Laura and I. They had no bubbles on, nothing to protect them, a new situation. But when we we went there, we we would tell them, you know, the, the water is deep to you, but I'm standing on solid ground. My feet are down there, and I will not let you sink. Again, when do you think the fear went away in them? At what moment? It was the moment that they trusted us. When they believed that our love for them would protect them, even if that was difficult for them to understand. Joseph had to trust God, and he did. He stops being afraid to take Mary as his wife. And we know this because he actually takes Mary as his wife. His actions show his trust. And then the angel gives the message that he's been sent to bring. And and what do we learn from the angel? If we follow along in in this next section, starting in verse 21, we're going to see at least five things that we learn from this message the angel brings. Verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means, God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So like I said, there's five things I want you to see that we learn here. First thing is what we've already looked at, that his fiancee has indeed been faithful. That's confirmed to him by the angel. The second thing Joseph learns is that Mary is going to have a baby boy. We are so used to sonograms today that we sometimes miss. This is a pretty amazing thing the angel tells him. Before kind of our modern era, it was a big deal if you knew what the gender of your child was going to be before it was born. He was one of the rare people who got to know that information. third thing we're told is what to name this child. God shows his love to us in the name that he gives to this child. That name is, is Jesus. Uh, Jesus is a, the Greek form of a Hebrew name you're familiar with, Joshua. And Joshua, and therefore Jesus, literally means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Which tells Joseph a fourth thing. This will be no ordinary child. Because this child is going to bring salvation to the people of God. I want you to notice that as as the angel explains this, uh, in the explanation of why the name will be Jesus, the angel tells them that he doesn't come to free them from Rome, which is really kind of part of the popular Jewish culture's expectation, but rather he comes to save his people specifically from their sins. In Acts 4.12, we learn the eternal significance of Jesus' name. It says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. None. None which is why we profess faith, not in some general concept of God, but in the specific name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I studied this earlier last week, uh, I got stumped on something I hadn't noticed before. I should have noticed this. You probably have. The angel says, name him Jesus, because he's going to save his people. And that's really where we see the fifth thing that he learns, his his son's going to fulfill a prophecy from Isaiah 7.14 that's listed here. The prophecy says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Why did the prophecy say, You shall call his name Emmanuel, and then the angel shows up and says, Call him Jesus. Like we saw a moment ago, Jesus means Jehovah is salvation, while Emmanuel means God is with us. They're not the same name. And that bothered me, honestly, when I saw it. Why does the angel not say, name him Emmanuel? And the simple answer to this is that Emmanuel was not to be a name. It was a description. It's the same as the text we looked at last week or two weeks ago. Isaiah 9.6, if you remember, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, surely you remember this, wonderful counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, Also, Luke one thirty two, we read, He will be great, and He will be called the Son of the Most High. There's another name that He is to be given. These uh, are names that will describe Jesus, but not His actual proper given name. Otherwise, instead of saying Jesus is Lord, we'd be saying, Emmanuel, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Son of the Most High, is Lord. That would be a mouthful. Or... You know I'm a follower of Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Son of the Most High Christ. Also a mouthful. Now, the birth of Jesus fulfills the prophecy of of being called Emmanuel. Because Jesus is God. And and in the birth of Christ, God comes to dwell among his people. In the Gospel of, of John, the very first verse speaks of this. Jesus in this text, it's called the Word, and it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 13 verses later in John 1.14, we read, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so it's right to call Jesus Emmanuel because he is God with us. Joseph then wakes up, and what do we see him do? I remember the angel visited him in a dream. Uh, and I love this, and we need to see this. Verse 24: when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He trusted God. The fear is removed, and he obeys God. Even though Joseph has resolved to divorce Mary quietly, he now does what God wanted him to do. We should learn from this. He's not worried what the people are going to think of him. He's obeying God, and so he takes Mary as his wife. In the last verse, verse 25, we learn that Mary remains a virgin until after the birth of the child, who they, of course, do in fact name Jesus. In this event, we see the love of God for his people, for us. God shows his love for us by his presence. He comes to dwell among men in physical presence. He provides the perfect life and the perfect sacrifice that true salvation requires. And we see the love of God in His promise. He keeps the promise that was originally given in, in Genesis 3 and then later given more clearly in the book of Isaiah and other places. God has shown His love in Christ by the life He lived, the, the death He died, and the salvation He brings to the resurrection. And the last thing I want to, to help us see today is that God not only loved us, but God now continues to love us. Do you know that? I mean, do you really know that? Do you know that today, that that moment by moment when things are going well and when things are going poorly, that if you are a child of God by faith, He loves you? This fall, I, I went to a church planter retreat down in Arkansas, and on the first morning I was there, uh, I wandered into the kitchen with pockets full of pecans. I would picked them up outside. Uh, and as I went in the kitchen, I, I met this 74-year-old woman from Liberia. And her name was Miss Fifi. She cooked breakfast for 35 men. And, and while I worked to crack open these pecans for myself, she began to to kind of talk to me. And so she's telling me she's from Liberia. And I say, Liberia, huh? The, how in the world did you end up in Arkansas? It's really just an insult towards Arkansas, but... Uh, She didn't catch that part. Her face, though, just lit up in response to this simple question. She tells me, God is so good. And she begins to tell me about this war in her country that her father was killed in. That her family actually had to watch this happen. Uh, and, And then she tells me that she traveled to the United States just a few days before this event happened. And I think to myself, how terrible. And she says, God is so good to me. She marries a man who later divorces her when she can't conceive and have children. God provides her a new husband who also loves the Lord deeply. And she says to me, why, why is God so good to me? And they give up hope for children and then unexpectedly, at the age of 42 she becomes pregnant. And a few years later God gives them a second healthy child and she responds to why is God so good to me? They helped start this, this church in town, and, and, and the building they meet in is just crumbling, falling apart, that they can no longer meet in it uh, legally. And so at this point, she tells me, to be honest, at this point in my life, I didn't trust white people. I didn't even like white people, um, which made me a little awkward for a moment. But then she tells me that she, she was introduced to a man who works with an organization, and that this organization built him a new home free of charge, and he was a white man. And she says God is so good to me. She tells me her husband died three weeks ago, three weeks from the moment I'm standing in front of her, and and that it happened while he was preparing for a pastor appreciation event uh, for their pastor. He had a heart attack. She says it's no wonder that he died serving the Lord because he was so often doing just that. She's stressed about that because it's going to cost seven thousand dollars just to bury her husband. Uh, And then she learns that the same man who helped build them a home some years ago hears about her husband's death and pays the entire thing off. And she says, why is God so good to me? As I kept listening to her story, I I found that I I kept seeing the bad. I kept seeing the ways God seemed to have failed to love her. The struggles that she had to go to that seemed unjust on some level. And and Miss Fifi kept pointing me to the good, the ways God had shown love to her. And with genuine joy, she kept telling me, I says to the Lord, I, I don't know why you love this African woman so much. And I can't even come close to, to explaining just the joy that, she was, that was coming out of her as she says this. When's the last time you, you prayed, Lord, I don't know why you love me so much? I want us to learn to look for the ways that God loves us throughout our days. Throughout our our weeks, throughout our our, our lives. And and let's start with the love that God has shown in the birth of Christ. Christian, God has proven his love for you in this miracle. The the action of sending Jesus to dwell among us, to die for us, and to grant us faith to believe. So let us hear this and, and proclaim, Lord, I don't know why you love this sinner so much. But you do. Church, let's, let's embrace this child, this God with us. Let's embrace the good news, no matter what bad news we might face today or the days ahead. You're a, a child of God with a Heavenly Father who loves you deeply. He loves you so much that He came to dwell with us so that He might make a way for us to dwell with Him forever. We have so many reasons to rejoice